Hi, I'm Kate, and welcome to the Picture House Podcast, where we discuss the architecture, design, and history of America's early cinemas. We hope that telling the stories of these places and the people associated with them will help you explore their place in our collective memory and our communities today. I started this podcast with the idea of limiting it only to classic movie theaters in the United States. I knew that I could come up with plenty of categories within that. Urban, rural, movie palace, neighborhood house, by architect. Something that never occurred to me, though, was to look at theaters by the types of movies they showed. I know that it was common for movies to be shown with newsreels beforehand. What I didn't know was that, for a brief time, there were theaters just for newsreels. Newsreel Theaters, Inc., Telenews, and Translux were three chains that had theaters solely for this purpose. For today's episode, we'll talk in particular about several of these short-form theaters that were done for the Translux Corporation by well-known theater architect Thomas Lamb. Newsreels Newsreels have arguably been around practically as long as moving pictures themselves, as some newsworthy events, sports, politics, were filmed in the 1890s. However, it's considered that the newsreel in its formal form was invented in 1908 by Compagnie Générale d'Establishment Pathé, Frère, Phonographe, and Cinématographe, or CGPC. And apologies for being an American who totally butchered the French language. Newsreels, short documentary films generally shown before the feature film, reported on news of the day and current events. The first newsreel, silent of course, was produced in France. In 1910, CGPC launched an American newsreel arm and also opened a newsreel production office in London. As a result, in February of 1910, the United Kingdom's first newsreel was produced. Footage was often shared across the French, British, and American newsreel divisions, and the first official newsreel was shown in the States in 1911. Fairly common from the 1910s through the late 1960s, newsreels were most popular in the 1930s and 40s. I guess this isn't surprising, as there was so much happening at home and abroad during the Great Depression and the Second World War. It was also prior to being able to have a national nightly newscast in your home via television. Several film companies produced newsreels in America, including Fox, Movie Tone News, Hearst and MGM, News of the Day and Metro Tone News, Universal, Warner Pathé, and Paramount, Paramount News. Most newsreel theaters were part of one of three chains, Telenews, Newsreel Theaters, Inc., and Translux. Although newsreels were shown in all kinds of movie houses, the three chains just mentioned opened newsreel-only theaters, primarily in big U.S. cities, where the volume of street traffic was such to ensure a new audience throughout the day. At their peak in the 30s and 40s, one-third of all newsreel theaters were in Manhattan. These theaters were typically smaller than the standard movie house, seating between 100 and 200. The short-format newsreels could be played all day long, with a decent number of tickets sold given the size of the theaters. One could often spare 45 minutes or an hour in the day to pop in and get caught up on the day's events. By December of 1941, roughly 25,000 newsreel theaters were operating in America's largest cities. But after the war, 
with folks flocking from city centers to the suburbs and national news programs beaming through television sets in most homes across America, the popularity of the newsreel began to wane, and with it the newsreel theater. The last newsreel in America was released on December 26, 1967. The Translux Theaters The Translux Corporation was founded in January of 1920 by Percival Percy Norman Ferber as a high-end video screen manufacturer. In 1930, they launched a building program with RKO Pictures. Known as the Translux Movies Corporation, Ferber owned 40% of the stock, RKO owned a majority 50%, and Cortland Smith, the president of Translux Movies, owned the remaining 10%. In 1929, Smith, using experience he'd gained at Fox, had reopened Times Square's 556-seat Embassy Theater, built in 1925 and also designed by Thomas Lamb, as a newsreel-only theater. The Embassy's success in this capacity prompted Smith to pursue an entire chain of newsreel theaters, thus the 1930 pairing with RKO. Initially, Mr. Smith was discouraged by the discovery that there were only 38 theaters in the U.S. sufficiently cheap, small, and well-situated to be incorporated into a news theater chain. He therefore investigated the possibilities of Translux projection and found that by projecting from behind the screen, he could make miniature movie theaters out of small stores and offices at nominal cost. For more on this rear projection technology that made Translux unique, give a listen to our fifth episode, Visualite Visions, if you haven't already. All Translux theaters will have big, comfortable chairs, rows far enough apart for patrons to sit with their legs crossed. They will be too well lighted for the operations of leg pinchers and knee rubbers, who make the grandest cinema palaces their playground. At the outset, the Transluxes showed only Pathé, Paramount, and Universal newsreels, but later showed Fox, Movietone, and MGM Hearst as well. I'm not sure how many Translux newsreel theaters there were in total, but based on the number that were designed by Lamb alone, I'd guess at least a couple dozen. Part of the national trend, Transluxes began to decline after World War II. By summer of 1949, the chain had only one newsreel theater still in operation. Thomas W. Lamb's Transluxes Thomas White Lamb, a Scot who immigrated to the U.S. in the 1880s, studied architecture at the Cooper Union. He became a prolific theater architect in the 1910s and 20s, well known for his lavish classical revival movie palace designs. We'll go into a much more detailed biography of Lamb in a future episode, but for our purposes today, it's interesting to note that by the time the first Translux opened, Lamb was extremely well established as one of the premier designers of large, grand movie palaces. But rather than those opulent revival ideas, most of his designs for the Translux Movies Corporation were strong expressions of the Art Deco style and reinforced the chain's theme of being the modern theater. I would love to know how Lamb got hooked up with Translux, since he was doing for them much smaller, arguably simpler designs than he was known for. If I ever find out, I'll let you know in an addendum to this episode. The first Translux Theater opened in Manhattan on March 14, 1931. Designed by Lamb, 
the 158-seat theater at 625 Madison Avenue, or Madison Avenue and 58th Street, had a svelte modernistic interior, plus larger seats, more legroom, and wider aisles than most other theaters of that time. Staff included a ticket girl, two operators, and a manager. In regards to the building's marquee, rather than appearing to be merely tacked onto an existing building, it has become an integrated part of the design, functioning as a combination frieze and string course in one of the sophisticated designs for which the Translux chain was notable. The theater was a hit, with attendance for the first month totaling almost 60,000. But its success actually worked against it. The location was just too small. In 1933, the space turned back into retail, and a new Translux opened just a short ways up the street at 650 Madison Avenue. The second Translux, also a lamb design, followed close behind the first. Opened in May of 1931, it was located at 1619 Broadway, the now-famed Brill Building. The roughly 400-seat theater was the earliest tenant on the building's ground floor. Constructed in modern style, with a silver and black design, the two houses have turnstiles instead of doormen, daylight projection, and other innovations. The two houses referred to the two screens. One was for short features, the other for newsreels. Even President Herbert Hoover sent his best wishes to the Translux Movie Corporation. I extend congratulations on the opening night of your New York theater. The showing of news pictures throughout the country cannot be but educational and instructive. The bringing of world events into the lives of great numbers of our people will serve to promote better understanding and closer world relations. The space ceased to be a translux in the late 30s, reverting at that time to the Broadway Bar and Cocktail Lounge, run by prize fighter Jack Dempsey. A short-lived translux by Lamb was opened in Detroit in 1932. The small theater on Woodward Avenue seated around 340. The building still exists today, although it appears to be vacant and doesn't bear any resemblance to its early days. Another Lamb Translux in Manhattan was opened on November 10, 1933. This one replaced the original Translux at 625 Madison. New York City Building Department records indicate that the new 560-seat Translux, done by Thomas Lamb, was located at 650 Madison Avenue, just a stone's throw from its predecessor. In the mid-40s, the theater was altered on plans from architect Drew Eberson. It showed newsreels until 1949, and the building was demolished in 1956. Lamb designed a beautiful translux in the heart of Philadelphia. Completed in 1934, the nearly 500-seat theater at 1519 Chestnut Street had a wonderfully symmetrical Art Deco exterior. In the late 40s, it ceased showing newsreels, but remained a theater for several more decades. In 1970, Lamb's modern facade was sadly reconstructed as part of the building's renovation into Eric's Place Theater. The building still exists today, although it is pretty much unrecognizable from its days as a translux. It's now a footlocker. For the next translux, we'll go to the boroughs. The translux at 927 Flatbush Avenue in Brooklyn was designed by Lamb and built in 1935. The June 1, 1935 issue of the Motion Picture Herald had a nice, brief write-up on this Thomas Lamb Theater. This one followed the general plan and design principles of earlier transluxes, 
while also incorporating some improvements. The building had a 48 by 116 foot frontage on Flatbush. The 551 seats, furnished by the Ideal Seating Company, were arranged in 27 rows on the single floor. The largest screen the theater could accommodate was 11 feet 8 inches by 16 feet, and the first row was 15 feet from the screen. The facade and entrance area are of stone and Carrera glass with aluminum trim. In addition to the marquee and vertical sign illumination, floods provide further exterior lighting. Between the entrance area, where the patron passes through a turnstile, and the auditorium is a spacious foyer designed to function also as a general lounge. Treatment is modern, with plaster walls having silk hangings and deep pile carpeting. Lighting fixtures are of etched glass. The auditorium is lighted from a single light trough at the rear. Wall treatment consists in walnut wainscot, satinwood pilasters, and heavy silk drapes in rust and gold. The ceiling is tinted a blue-green and pointed with gold leaf. Auditorium acoustical treatment consists in acoustical plaster at walls and ceiling, which is augmented by the carpeting and fabrics on the wall. A men's smoking room and a women's cosmetic room, with adjoining toilet facilities, are located on the basement level. The building was a theater into the late 70s. Since then, it's been retail. Next, we'll go to the nation's capital. Lamb's Translux in Washington, D.C., opened on March 13, 1937. Located in downtown D.C., just a few blocks from the White House, the two- and three-story Translux was a block long, an elegant expression of the Art Deco, with a finish of etched glass. Its marquee was a tall, aluminum tower with a mirror-like effect. Neon letters spelling Translux ran vertically down both sides of the tower. Inside, the auditorium seated 600 in blue leather chairs that were comfortably spaced. The walls in the theater featured carved and painted military and sports-themed murals. The theater was also air-conditioned, a wonderful 1930s novelty in a wonderfully sweaty swamp town. It showed newsreels until 1948, and after that, feature films until the early 70s. Lamb's DC Translux sadly met the wrecking ball in 1975 for what in my opinion is the lowest and worst use, a parking lot. And we'll go back to Manhattan for Lamb's last couple of Translux theaters. One, located on the Upper East Side at 1144 Madison Avenue, was a 586-seat theater opened on November 1, 1937. Its exterior was fairly modest. The other, at 586 Lexington Avenue, opened on January 21, 1938, and later gained fame as a key exterior location in The Seven-Year Itch. It's the theater showing Creature from the Black Lagoon that Marilyn Monroe walks out of right before she stands over that deliciously breezy subway grate. Neither of these two theaters remains today. Translux was one of the best-known newsreel-only theater chains, and Thomas Lamb is still revered as one of the greatest theater architects of the 20th century. But they aren't often discussed in detail together. It's really interesting that one of the premier architects of totally over-the-top movie palaces, who could probably have gotten any commission he wanted, embraced designing newsreel theaters. These were, by comparison, tiny little glorified retail spaces in dense urban areas, 
and their relative impermanence was actually a draw for the company's business model. Was Lamb just itching to try something different? Was he paid a boatload? <laughs> Who knows? And if I ever find out, I'll let you know. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it, and I hope you'll join us again soon. Until then, may your seats be ever in the center.